Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> yes, those of you who've been sitting back there have been hearing that for a while, but that's our first chance to uh, hear the Dublet Quartet. Uh, I think they have a more official name, but uh, in person. So uh, thank you guys. We've been trying to, trying to figure out when they could all get here at the same time. Thanks again they for were. the the giving. I know we threw out a bunch of opportunities there for you. Um, benevolence goes to people here. The, um, the the big house, little houses, going to going to Tanzania, and um, I can give you some more information about that. I was just processing a bunch of information, so it doesn't really go to an organization. It basically goes to 118 churches that are supporting um, 800 some of the 1,600 orphans they have in their churches. And uh, about 300 of the widows they have in their churches. And we get to partner with, directly with these local churches that are helping local people in Tanzania. And this is a particularly difficult year. You guys know the general fact that when you go to the grocery store, it's more expensive. But it doesn't mean you don't eat. And with the lack of rain doesn't mean you don't eat. But uh, yeah, uh, normally two kilos of corn is $5. Now it's $18. And that's a lot when you uh, don't have anything. So, uh, and then we have, uh, as we mentioned, several uh, of our members have, have decided on their, their own volition that they wanted to give this matching fund. We need about $80,000 to make it, so, and about 20% of the matching fund goes elsewhere as well. I mean, our general fund goes to benevolence, and I mean, 20% of our giving goes to benevolence and missions. And uh, anyway, so, It'd be great to give to that and meet that deficit and overflow to um, missionaries and staff and local ministries. So uh, whatever you give from now till the end of the year, uh, starting last, last uh, week, will be matched up to 80000 in the new year, the beginning of next year. So what a great opportunity. Um, and I, I know we've never done that before. So some of you are like, well, that's kind of a gimmicky, and I, I thought so too. But... You know, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is saying, you know, the Corinthians are giving. Macedonia, what, you know, there, there's kind of this encouraging other people to give by other people giving. So, yeah, everybody else does it. It seems like it's biblically permissible, so we're going to try it. And uh, give, give you a chance to double your money. Um, everybody seems to like a sale. Two for one. So, there you go. Um, this is your chance before, just before the end of the year. So, that, that and whatever it is, that's what, that's what they'll give. Um, all right, so um, as I've been thinking about, uh, I was thinking about the overflow, thinking about a particular verse in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 that we talked about, and thinking about my own life, and thinking about what I noticed around me, and uh, some of what I've noticed around me, and see if you have noticed this. Have you noticed any anxiety around you, or maybe in you? I've noticed some in me and around me. Some fear, some anxiety, real anxiety about what is happening, what's going on. Um, and it comes from this sense of threat, this fear that something is happening. And maybe it's the racial tensions. Maybe it's and whichever side of, of racial people can uh, feel threatened, certainly legitimately, and other people feel threatened. I mean, I'm not going to talk about legitimate, but... There's a sense of threat and fear about what is happening. Um, and for legitimate reasons. But 
there's also threat of, you know, sometimes as Christians, we feel like the, the culture is getting away from us. And people are talking about, well, what if, what if it gets really bad? And we, you know, they start imprisoning Christians. And it gets, um, and, and then there's just war and economic stuff and lots of threats out there going on. Um, and what is our response? Uh, my response, some of yours, is to try to get control. Now, getting control is a good thing if you're trying to work with your budget and you're trying to work with your to-do list and you're trying to work with, uh, you know, your time, your schedule. Uh, but sometimes we go beyond what we can actually control and try to get control of what we can't really control. And uh, so that means to clinging to and clawing for control. Now, when I, I'll admit, I have some anxiety issues, some mental health issues, comes, comes from some experiences in Tanzania and a good gene pool, uh, lots of the rest of my family, that I, when I get out of control, I want to cling to control. When I'm off in the village in the middle of the night in Tanzania and it's dark, I want to make sure I have my flashlight and my candles and my water that's clean and... Um, no, I can't go anywhere, but at least. Uh, so I have ways that I cling. I won't tell you all of my ways. And most of them are uh, somewhat helpful and mostly self-destructive. But um, anybody else have any anxiety issues? Um, I do. And it tends to make me cling. And the thing is, when I cling and I tends to make things worse. Sometimes I, I, lose, I win battles and I lose wars. Um, sometimes because that affects other people. But some, sometimes we have a drive for more money. If I had more money, then I'd be more secure or, or a better position. Then I, I wouldn't be threatened, you know, with... Um, or, or to be right or to be respected. Those are two I love. I love to be respected. I love to be right. But sometimes I have to choose between being right and a relationship. And have you ever or noticed anybody ever choose being right over a relationship? I sometimes also have to choose to be right or to learn something. And I should want to learn something because then I'd be more right. But usually I just want to be right with what I already know. Anybody notice anywhere on maybe social media or anything where people are trying to be right rather than learn something? Sometimes. Um, and to be protected. Because I want to avoid suffering. I especially want to avoid death. I don't even want to talk about death. But the reality is I'm going to die. And you are too. And we do everything possible to avoid that ever possible, even thinking about it or anyone else close to us. Theoretically, fine. But when it gets close, ooh. Suffering, death. Our kids, protection, right? And of course, it's normal to try to protect our kids and our parents and our siblings and our friends. But trying to get that control to protect them um, sometimes makes us cling too hard. Our kids don't like to be clung to quite that hard. And some other people may not be like, my wife doesn't like to be clung to quite as hard as I do sometimes. Okay. 
get control and feel less anxiety. Um, or we can find a strong group and a strong leader that's going to protect us, that's going to get it. And I'll be honest, in churches, I was just reading about uh, vineyard churches have a, a shift going on, and they, they were talking about how they, they have tended to have strong leaders. And part of it is the anxiety that we want somebody to hear from God and know what's going on and, and, and be able to follow them and be decisive and clear and say, this is the word of the Lord. Then we wouldn't have to do that. Sometimes you want somebody to be in control. And of course, in other areas, politically, we might want a strong leader or a strong group. We might want our group to be stronger so that we're protected. That true? What happens when we do all that stuff? Well, the result in relationships is divisions. Because my group is threatened by your group, so we're going to be stronger and attack your group, and then battles for control between individuals, within families, within countries. Um, and then we get more threatened and more anxiety. What is Putin trying to do? I don't get it. But you have to remember, Napoleon invaded, Hitler invaded. No, they're, they're coming, they're coming from the West. And, and so that sense of threat makes it more anxiety, right? And so we need to dominate there. And are you winning hearts and minds by blowing up electric plants and, and making people cold? How do you rule that? But the point is, you, you still get to that place. And of course, the other side doesn't want to lose either, so 100,000 on each side, just soldiers have died? I, I watched uh, Veterans Day, Dan and I started watching um, All's Quiet on the Western Front. There's a remake of that movie. Oof, I don't know if I should have. We, we, we shut it off and watched the rest of it later, but it's gory, it's terrible. The trench warfare from World War I and just the awfulness of what ex people experienced. And the generals commanding people to go, even when the armistice was signed. They wanted people to go. 11,000 people died after they signed the armistice, before the 11 o'clock hour. Because we want to be right. That's where we get to. Right? This is the end of all this. <laughs> When we try to cling to control. So, how do we escape from this battle? Um, well, what did Jesus do? Um, what does the first Christmas carol say? And some other parts of Scripture. Um, choose to lose. What? No, I want to win. I want to keep. I don't want to lose anything. But Jesus chose to lose. So how do we escape? What did Jesus do? What's the first Christmas carol say? Here's Paul writing to a suffering church in Philippi. We've heard about this in, uh, we've been reading through Acts. We remember Paul, what happened to him? He got thrown in jail when he was there. Now Paul is someplace else in a different jail. And he's writing to the Philippians who are persecuted. 
and things are tough. And Paul is writing this letter full of joy from prison. And chapter 1, verse 27, he says, above all else, he starts to give them, in the middle of their persecution, this advice. He says, you must live as citizens of heaven. Oh, so if I'm a citizen of heaven, it doesn't quite matter as much what happens to my citizenship in Russia or Ukraine or the United States um, or whatever other group I might be closely identified with. But conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I'll know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Is that what we hear about the church and Christians? Fighting together, yes. But fighting together for one purpose? <laughs> for the faith? Not always. Because sometimes we have things that are more important than Jesus and the faith. What? A little bit. Anybody? Um, but he says, stand together. Now, now keep in mind, why is he saying this? Because the Philippians have some disagreements and discussions among them. We find out in Philippians 4, it's a couple of women who are fighting and whatever. He's not saying this just because there is no issue. He's saying to a church like ours that's even more threatened, more persecuted, I'd like you to be one, fighting for one thing. Don't be intimidated. Don't be threatened. Don't be afraid of your enemies. People, especially the principalities, this power. in any way by your enemies, this will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but you're going to be saved, even by God himself. Do you believe you're going to be saved? Not just like spiritually and uh, some theoretical someday high in the sky, by and by, I'm going to be saved. Or I prayed a prayer and now I'm going to, going to heaven. My sins are forgiven, whatever that is. But actually, the stuff that you're afraid of, God's going to save you from the most important stuff? Save you out of it? You believe you're going to be saved? And that by God himself? Out of everything that really matters? Uh, sometimes. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Wait a second, Paul. I thought you were going to be saved. Out of suffering, right? Not always. Sometimes we can even be in suffering. God cannot, can save us even through and in, during suffering. Paul somehow is in jail rejoicing, content. I have everything I need, he says. How does he do that? And he's encouraging them. This is a privilege to suffer for Jesus. How many of us really get that? Well, maybe we haven't quite suffered for Jesus yet. Maybe we're suffering for other things because <laughs> we're clinging to other things. I don't know. But God's going to save us through suffering. He's going to give us sometimes the privilege. In fact, he promises 
the privilege of suffering for him. How can it be a privilege? To suffer? Well, it's a privilege when you suffer for a purpose. And not just random, some general wants me to charge into machine guns. But a purpose like Jesus can really matter, right? We are in this struggle together, Paul says. You've seen my struggle in the past. Well, they saw him thrown in jail, beaten up, and everything else. And you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Here I am in jail again. And I'd be like, well, I'm not going with that guy. He's a loser. He's in prison. How many of you hang out with prisoners? Not easy to hang out with prisoners, I know. But um, anyway, we tend to people who are not only are we trying not to lose, we're trying not to hang out with people who lose. Especially, we're trying to get our kids not to hang out with people who lose because we want them to be winners. Um, so Philippians two, he, go, he goes on. This is the next verse. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And he's expecting this them to say, yes. So let me ask you, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Yeah. Any comfort from God's love? Christ's love? Yes. Any fellowship, any koinonia together in the Spirit? Yes. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Yes. Then, make me truly happy, Paul says from his jail, where he's joyful anyways. But he says, make me really happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. And you can see Paul asking this in different times. And honestly, for us, for me, would that be a joy? For us, be working together with one mind, one purpose, loving each other, agreeing wholeheartedly. doesn't mean we can't disagree about some things. But on the main things, we agree wholeheartedly. Just have to make those the main things, right? And he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. How many of us are always trying to impress others? You got up this morning, you looked in your closet, and you said, what could I wear that would not impress me? What, what would, none of you thought that, right? You thought, what would make me look decent or good or, you know, right? Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Well, I would if they were better than me. You know, I, No. Think of others, those other people, as even better than yourself. That's crazy. None of us thinks that. But he says we should. We should think of the other team as better than our team. Think of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for, only for your own interests. He says it's okay to look for your own interests. But also, take an interest in others too. What do they need? What do they want? What, what's best for them? I know this is how we all, all the advertisements, all the political advertisements you saw, they all encourage you to do this, right? 
No, but this is crazy stuff, right? Nobody does this, and yet Paul's telling us to do this. And he's basically, he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So he says, we can do this because we're following Jesus. Paul is doing it because he's following Jesus. And he says, you follow me or we follow Christ. Let's do this because Jesus did it. So what did Jesus do? Though he was God. In fact, you could translate it because he was God. He knew he was God. He didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. What? But man, when you're up at the top, you should cling to stay there. If you're not at the top, you should claw to get higher. But Jesus didn't cling. He released him. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. Okay, LinkedIn job advertisement, there's a slave position open. I think I'll take it. The CEO thing is getting boring. Jesus went from CEO of the entire universe to slave. Interesting, Paul introduces himself at the beginning of this book. He says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. Wow. Jesus went from the top to the bottom. And was born as a human being. Born in in Bethlehem, quickly a refugee running to Africa because he was at the bottom. When he appeared in human form, he then humbled himself further in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Like naked, bloody, humiliated, you are the worst that doesn't need anything except to be exterminated. Lynch. What, what worse words can we use to crush this nobody? That's what crosses with. Just going to let you hang there until you die. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. 2 Corinthians 8.4, this is the one that grabbed me in our previous generosity series as I was coming into Advent. You know, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that by his poverty he could make you rich. So Jesus was rich. We all want to be rich. But he became poor to make us rich. So we're also collecting motivations here. One was obedience. The other was so he could make you rich. John 1 says the word was God. It goes on about how God, Jesus was the word. He was God. And then he came into the very world he created. The world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. And even they rejected him. Stuck him on a cross. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. 
So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So somehow they saw glory in the midst of that. Somebody losing everything. What was Jesus' motivation? He knew and trusted the Father. He obeyed the Father. So he knew who God was so he could trust him. This is what keeps me from doing this. I don't know God well enough. I don't trust if he can really take care of me. Now sometimes I trust big things. Oh yeah, he'll heal my family, he'll take care of me, but I've got to have water in the car when I'm in Tanzania. I, got, I, got, I can't be sleeping alone. I have claustrophobia. But I can't trust him with some things. Sometimes. Any of you like that? You're pretty good a lot of the time, sometimes the big things. But things you're supposed to control. Um, he knew who he was. John 13, 3-5 says, Jesus, knowing he had come from the Father, was going back to the Father, took off his clothes, and kneeled down and washed the disciples' feet. Everybody else is saying, Where's this, when's the servant going to come and wash our feet? Jesus does it. Why? Because he knew who he was. Because he knew who the Father was. He knew who God was, so he knew who he was. So he didn't have to try to be somebody. Most of us aren't quite sure who we are. So we've got to try to become somebody. Right? Just in the simplest thing, I remember when we were building on the church, the Cloquet Gospel Tabernacle, now Journey Church, the master electrician was happy to come in and sweep the floor. The teenagers always wanted a hammer. I want to do something important. Master electrician knew he was a master electrician. What needs to be done? Right? Dr. Mork knows what that's about. <laughs> she doesn't want me to call her that, but you're a doctor, you don't have to, you can change diapers. That's what needs to be done. But um, he did it to give riches to us. He did it for the joy set before him, Hebrews 12 says. He went to the cross for the joy set before him. We've got to pile up the motivations because we've got to think, how, how could we possibly do this? Jesus did it. Our main motivation is doing what Jesus did. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he lost it all. He gave it up. His divine privileges, everything he had. He took the humble position of a slave. Now, let me be clear. Sometimes leading can be service. That's why we call them public servants. Why we talk about servant leaders, because sometimes actually leading is a way to serve people. And sometimes there's, here's why we don't have more leaders, is there's suffering involved with leading. Somebody said, you can, you can lead as much as you can suffer. If you can suffer for yourself, you can lead yourself. If you can suffer for your children, you can lead a family. If you can suffer for a bigger group and absorb their suffering, you can lead a bigger group. But a lot of us are trying to ditch the suffering. <laughs> Could I have a little less responsibility? I'm going to be honest, I, I think that quite a bit sometimes. 
little less responsibility. Um, because it's hard when people are anxious, when people are suffering. To absorb their suffering and their anxiety and their, and their difficulty. And we need to do this for each other. It's not really just about leaders doing that, right? So he humbled himself to the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Then he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And if that was the end of the story, we'd say, what a loser. That's not the end of the story. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. He was rejected. He was honored. He was shamed. And then given honor. Elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, willingly or unwillingly. Jesus will receive the honor he deserves. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Yes, even the demons are going to have to bow. And every tongue, every language, Declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Kurios in Greek, which actually translates Yahweh in the Old Testament. He is king. Kurios is what they called their kings. That was the whole fight. Is Caesar Lord or is Jesus Lord? Well, they kept saying Jesus is Lord. And the Jews didn't like it because they were saying he was Yahweh. He was the God. Every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So, <laughs> how can you do what Jesus did? How can you have that attitude as well as action? Where is it in your life that you're claiming to control? Where is it that you get anxious, fearful? I don't know where it is for you or, or your group. Where can you release, choose to lose, so that Jesus can undertake for you. Jesus can give you honor. God, God, James says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We want to receive that grace. We want him to... But the, the thing about this upside-down kingdom is that down is the way up. How can you do that practically in your life? Even when you're in the position, when you're the parent, how can you humble yourself to serve your children? What does servant parenting look like? 
I mean, we have to do it anyway. What if we had the attitude <laughs> that we're serving them? So this is what Paul said. If we know that's what Jesus did, then we can do this. Agree wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. We cannot be selfish or try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look, look not only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Could I have the worship team come up? Um, this is a super familiar, the original Christmas carol. This is probably the oldest, one of the oldest hymns we know. Paul is quoting this um, from the hymn book that they didn't have. It was, it was, uh, it was a uh, memorized hymn. But he's making this point by reminding them what Jesus did. And we need to remind ourselves, as you listen to these Christmas carols through this season, remember that Jesus didn't just do this for you. He calls you to follow him. Follow him down. To choose to lose. So that he can be glorified, he can be lifted up, and then he can lift you up as he chooses. So we're going right into communion because um, that's what this is about. Jesus, we are so grateful that you are king and we are not. And Lord, we want to live like that. Like you are king and we are not. And so, Lord, we surrender. We give up all of our attempts to control and be king. Um, and we want to live in your kingdom. We want you to be king. In this Christmas season, we want to follow you. In this Advent season, we want to long for your kingdom to come. Yes. Your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we long for you to come again as king. Yes. Completely. And now. Yes. In every way. Jesus, we welcome you as king of our lives. We thank you for your sacrifice, for the very strange way that you came here to be enthroned on a cross and to be exalted above all. God, as we consider and contemplate this mystery, would you help us to walk in it, in our behavior and in our attitude? May it be the same as Jesus. So now, in the name of Yahweh, the Father, who gave his Son for you, Jesus, who came from far up, you far below and sacrificed his life for you. 
In the name of the Spirit who goes with you to be witnesses to this. Be blessed. And go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.